Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship. You've already been welcomed a number of times. I didn't get the chance to welcome you last week, but I did feel the effect of your good wishes and prayers. I woke up Saturday morning uh, last weekend and uh, head spinning and splitting and doing all those kinds of things, and I knew immediately it was a, immediately it was a sinus infection. Uh, I get those things so often I can pretty much self-diagnose them, so spent some time with the uh, the doctor that morning and took some prednisone and took some antibiotics, which I'm still on for another week. I'm feeling much better. Glad to be uh, back with you again. But then on Tuesday, as I was brushing my teeth and washing out my mouth, one of my fillings popped out. <laughs> and I went to the dentist on Friday and he said, hey, guess what? You need another crown. So, it's like, <laughs> so I'm now in the middle of that. Got a temporary one in there now. But I do do appreciate praise. I do appreciate the the uh, flexibility and uh, professionalism and love of my dear friend Dave Aldridge, who came down last week. Um, I watched the video uh, this week of his message to you last week. I always do that, by the way. Um, pastors have a tendency to do that to see if whatever derogatory information has been spread by the guest speaker <laughs> while you know they've been gone and so so forth. Uh, but the one thing I texted Dave this week after I listened to the sermon, I said, one, I, I, said I only have one, two things to say to you. I said, one, thank you for filling. I said, number two, never trust anybody who writes a sermon at a presbytery meeting. So uh, <laughs> that's, that's, my, that's my friend Dave. He is a dear, dear man and a dear servant of God, and I was glad he could get down here and uh, open the word to you today. And I'm going to do that uh, today myself, of course. So I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bible to Psalm 93, Psalm 93, and what we're going to talk about today is really the utter reliability of God, the absolute utter reliability of God, that God is not going to let you down. He cannot let you down. He, he will see you through. He will get you to where he wants you to be. And the reason is not because we're so lovable or we're so likable or we're so valuable, although we are to him in a very powerful way. It's because he's God. It's who he is. And Psalm 93 is going to open that up for us. So let's give our undivided attention to the reading of God's word. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established firm and secure. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. The seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves Mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. And your statutes, Lord, stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days. Would you please join me in prayer? Father, as we open your word today, we pray that not only will you open that word to us, but that we might open our hearts, our minds, our lives to you, to receive the life-giving, power-affirming, future-guaranteeing 
truth that we find there. Give us what we need, O Lord, and beyond what we need to what we must have to serve you, to know you, and to share you with others. In Jesus' name, amen. In my childhood, there was never any doubt in my household as to who was in charge. My father was in charge. It was very clear. Even my mother said that. Ultimately, if there was a decision to be made, my dad made the decision. And that didn't matter what it was. If there was a disagreement about something that, that uh, had to be done, a, a decision that had to be made, my father had the final word. If he didn't really care one way or the other, my mother had the final word. There were no votes taken in my house. I can only think of one time when that was not true. I remember sitting in our, uh, our TV room. Uh, might call it a family room today, but, and Bonnie would know about that, where that room is. And a bunch of us all crowded into that little room, gathered around our console color TV, uh, back when uh, uh, remote control was telling your kid to go up and change the channel, you know. Uh, that, that, that's the kind of day that it was back then. And we as kids all wanted to watch something else. You know, whatever it was dad wanted to watch, we wanted something. He probably wanted to watch an old movie that I loved, would love to watch watching now, but enjoy watching now. But it's like, then I can't even remember exactly what it was, but my dad wanted to watch something. And he said, okay, let's take a vote. Who wants to watch what you guys want to watch? And there was probably four or five of the six siblings of us sitting in there, and we all raised our hands. And, and he said, who wants to watch what I want to watch? And he raised your hand, his hand, and he said, listen, the vote has been taken, and I win. You don't get a vote, because I'm in charge. Now, he never put it in exactly those kind of words. He didn't have to. We knew it. We understood it. And it, it was an absolute kind of thing. Only after he was, he was gone, after he had, had died back in 1990, we were sitting around as siblings one day. We discovered that the real power in our family was my mother. Because my oldest brother and sister agreed on this one statement, that my dad was the general, but my mother was the queen. And if she didn't want it done, it didn't get done. And if she wanted it done, it happened. And so that's how that is. But we're talking about God today, and God is in charge. And we live in this culture, we live in this time where there is so much doubt cast about that. I was watching a show this week on, uh, on television, I can't remember what it was, but there was a guy, I can't even remember what his name was, and he was spouting off of this kind of stuff. And he said, you know, what we really need to do is instead of being a nation of laws, we need to be a nation of norms. A nation of norms. So whatever your culture thinks is normal at any particular time, that should govern how, the, how your culture, how your society, how your nation should be run, rather than, a na than an absolute nation of laws. Of course, you know what kind of problem that brings up, is every time there is a shift in the norms, there is a shift in the laws. There's nothing absolute to stand on, and you find yourself with feet firmly planted in midair. And that's where we often find ourselves. Even as Christians, we find ourselves there sometimes. We, we think we are there. We cannot find firm footing, and that is why so often in the Scriptures, old and new, and particularly in the, in the Psalms, we find this constant reminder, 
God is in charge. God has it under control. God holds it in his hands. And Psalm 93 is one of my favorite psalms of of exclamation of that truth. I can't help but think of of, uh, Matthew Perry from the second chapter of Acts. Uh, singing uh, the song, the song, their song, Psalm 93, with his magnificent, soaring uh, tenor voice, giving real power to this. And that's what's in my heart. I almost broke into song as we were reading the scriptures today. But I want to let you know that wherever you are in your life and wherever you are going in your life, God's in charge. God's got it. He's got it handled. More surely than my father had it handled. More surely than my mother had it handled. And they had a pretty good handle on things. God has it handled. And we need to be reminded of that as we live out our present. We can't do anything about the past, but we can live out our present, which can be sometimes fearful, turbulent, difficult. And we do not need to fear about the future. We can walk boldly into it. And in fact, God wants to draw us there with, this, with his power. Now, how many of you have ever preached a sermon? Come on. One, two, got a couple more besides me? Three, okay. Wonderful. I don't know who's preaching next week. It's not me. Okay, so <laughs> it's, not, it's not me. I, I'm, I'm taking another uh, or getting another week off. Uh, but I'll be back on the, on the uh, 22nd. Um, I learned to preach, you know, in, in seminary, and I still kind of follow that model. Uh, but I had opportunities to preach before then. But long before that, back in second grade, I was taught a particular model of communication. And I'll bet you may have too, particularly if you're my age. My second grade teacher was Mrs. Stanley. And I'll to- show you the respect that that, we, that I had or that I was taught to have for my teachers is to this day, I cannot remember her first name. She is still alive. She just celebrated her 95th birthday. She's in a nursing home, same nursing home my mother was in for a couple of years. Sent her, sent her a card when I found out it was her 90, 95th birthday. I don't remember her first name, but part of her job as a second grade teacher in the curriculum of that day was to teach us how to communicate, how to look at a situation, look at a picture, look at an event, and communicate. And guess how she did it? She asked us to answer questions. And those questions were simple words, single words. What were they? Who, what, when, where, why, and how? And we got that drilled into us through all of second grade. Okay, we're going, to do a bo- we're going to do a book report on this chapter of this book we've been reading or the one that she had been reading to the class. And she said, you need to answer in that book report all of those questions. Who's involved? What's going on? Why is it happening? When is it happening? Where is it happening and how? That is one model for a sermon. Sermons can have all kinds of different models, but I'm going to use that model today as we unpack 93. In honor of Mrs. Stanley and in praise of our glorious Father, the God who is in charge, we begin with who? Well, it's easy. The Lord alone. The psalmist says, 
It is the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. And of course, he's talking about the mighty God. He's talking about the one true God. Not the gods of the Gentiles, not the God of their enemies, but the one true God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the who. Again and again, he is given this image. He is given this title, Lord. And it is not the the simple Lord of Sir that we sometimes find in the New Testament. It is the Lord of the Hebrew language, which means God, Yahweh, Jehovah, the God of Israel, the creator of the world. That's the who. It's important for us to remember that's the who. See, nobody else have any power. We sang about that this morning early. Nobody can stand up to God. Nobody can get in his way. God is the, we tend to not want to think about it this way, but God's the big bully on the block. You're not going to stand up to him. He's like my oldest brother Lars was when I was a little kid. Nobody messed with my older brother's little brothers because he was the big guy on the block. He wasn't a bully, but he was a big guy. If I ever told you that I have four brothers, or I had, my brother Lars died a year ago, but I'm the smallest of them. By far, ask Bonnie. I'm the small one. I'm the runt of the litter. And so we were always able to hide behind his name and his strength and his size and his reputation. And we can do that with God. God is in charge, there's no doubt. There wasn't anybody who could whip my brother. There isn't anybody who can whip God. Anybody. That's the who of what we're going to be learning about the rest of the psalm. The Lord alone, no one along with him. What? What is it? What does this psalm tell us about this God, about the Lord alone? That he reigns alone. That's a majestic word, reign. It means he's in charge. And not just of the big stuff, but the little stuff too. God is a micromanager. He cares about the little stuff. When I was uh, growing up in, in my little hometown of Oskaloosa, Iowa, in our, in our Presbyterian church, uh, my Sunday school teacher from grades one to three was Vera Brostrom. You can remember her name. She was married to Dexter Brostrom, who was the biggest dairy farmer in the area. But they were there every Sunday, regardless of weather. They were always there for Sunday school. They were always there for church. And she would always take prayer requests. And I remember the day when I was in third grade that my little brother, Sam, who is not little anymore, and Bonnie can tell you about that too, he's, much, he's the biggest one of the bunch, turned out to be the biggest one of the bunch, his, he held up his hand and he said, I, I, I need you to pray for the zipper on my jeans. Sam, if you're watching this, I'm sorry, but I just got to tell this story. And she said, well, why? She said, because when I zip my jeans up at school, it keeps coming back down. And it's embarrassing. And we prayed that day in Sunday school for that because that was important to Sam and that was important to my Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Brostrom, and that is important to God. Those little things are important to God. Whatever you think is too little or too great for God, it's not. God cares for us as children. He 
wants to help us deal with and wrestle with the things in our daily lives. As the Lord, he, and he reigns alone. There is no one who is his peer, no one who is his equal. There is no one else to whom we should turn, although we turn to those lesser gods, those lesser deities, including ourselves someday, some days, and in some situations. Who? The Lord alone. What? That he reigns alone. That's the subject here of this. And when? When did God start this? When will God end this? When is God not doing this? When does God get a day off? And the answer is, since eternity and for eternity. Before where there was the created order, there was God. God created us out of nothing He remains God still. He will be God on into eternity. That's the when. There is nothing in our past that has escaped God's desire to forgive us. There is nothing in our our present that that escapes God's desire to, to encourage us and to help us. And there's nothing in our future as we launch out into it trusting Him that we need to fear. We can be bold in going there, carrying out his will, because God is there too. He is the constant companion. He is the pioneer. He is everything. God always has been this way. God always will be this way. And God is not going to let us down in any way. Keep that in mind, my friends. This is what the, this is what the psalmist is talking about. Where? Literally everywhere. Everywhere. Psalm 139 is my favorite psalm of the, Bi- of the Bible. And it talks there in, in, in Psalm 139 about if, if I lie down here, God is there. If I'm over here, God is there. If I try to escape God in the far, to the farthest part of the world, God is still there. He's everywhere. He's in the midst of all situations. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't go to sleep. He doesn't take a day off. Isn't it interesting that God gives us a day off, but he never takes a day off? We're told that God rested from his labors, but he never stopped being God. He rested from his creative labors, but never, ever stopped being God. And he has always been there. So wherever you go, Whatever you face, whatever situation you find yourself in, how weak you feel, how strong you feel, how foolish you feel, how unprepared and unequipped and uneducated and untrained you feel, God is still there, literally everywhere. He is in the darkest recesses of your memory. He is in the the brightest hopes of your dreams and visions for the future. He is there. He is there in the midst of trouble. He is there in the midst of success. He's there at the planting of the seed. He is there at the harvesting of the crop. He is there. Then there's these two great questions. And I remember Mrs. Stanley telling us these were probably the most important questions to answer, but they were the hardest to discern. Who, what, when, and where are pretty easy, pretty factual. But then there was the why. Why is this going on? And she would say, look at the situation, look at the story. Why is this happening to the person who's at the center of the story? She didn't use big words like protagonist and all that stuff back then. That was up when you got up into high school. We started talking about that. 
But you say, who's at the center of the story? And why is this happening to them or around them? And when we look at this psalm, it's all about God's glory. It's about the glory that he brings himself. God reigns, he's robed in majesty. He puts on and eternally wears this majesty, this this all-encompassing beauty, this all-encompassing symbol of all that is life-giving and strong. And he, but he not only does it for his own glory, he not only short shows his glory and his strength, he not only shows his ability to, to calm the waves and speak to them as they, they shout out his name when we hear those breakers on the shore, when we visit a shoreline. It is a, it is a powerful and thunderous noise, is it not? But when those kinds of things threaten us, he's also there, not just for our glory, but for his, but for our, his glory, but for our good. Remember the disciples going across the lake, Jesus asleep in the boat. I think I just saw this picture in the prayer room earlier today as I was walking around, stretching my legs. And the disciples woke Jesus up and said, do you not care that we're drowning, that we're dying here? And Jesus got up and said, in our own vernacular, sit down and shut up. That's what he told the wind and the waves. And they, and the disciples were amazed. Those same winds and same waves face us. Maybe not out on the middle of the lake, but certainly in the middle of our lives. Certainly in our struggles as churches. Certainly in our wrestling in our culture. That's true. That's the why, but how? Here's where we look at the end of the psalm. He does it. All of this funnels down to this. Your statutes, Lord, stand firm, and holiness adorns your house for endless days. This is what it all funnels down to. This is what is all, all is, dis- is distilled out of it. Through the holiness of his character, who stands with us through his Holy Spirit, and the holiness of his word. That means when we are troubled, And we wonder, God, why aren't you speaking? Why aren't you doing something to us? You've seen it on Facebook if you're on there. You see a a person in trouble saying, Lord, speak to me. And then you see a hand extending out of heaven holding this. God has spoken. He's not done speaking. His Holy Spirit still speaks. But it is always in accordance with this holy word. We should never be shaken because all we have to do is turn to the scriptures to find out what God has to say about it. There is nothing that is going on in our lives that we cannot find an answer to or an encouragement to, to wrestle with that we, do, that we find in the scriptures. We cannot find anything in our lives. I have not been able to find anything in 65 years that does not pertain to me and now and to me in the future. Who, what, why, where, when, how. Now, you're all trained. All of you can preach. Okay? Or teach. But you can all communicate. If you ever wondered about how to communicate the gospel to your children or your grandchildren or to your neighbor, this is how to do it. Look at a passage and you just 
who, what, why, when, where, and how. And you begin. But then comes the application, and that's what I want to finish with. Because there's always an importance to apply it. The great President Abraham Lincoln, who we all hold near and dear to our hearts, was said to have attended um, New York Avenue Presbyterian Church. We were there. Bonnie and I were there on a visit to D.C. one time. And in that day and time, evangelicals were welcome in that church. And you were welcome as a visitor. You were encouraged to sit in the Lincoln pew. And I sat exactly where Abraham Lincoln sat and rested my arm on the, edge of, and the, on the rail of the pew where Lincoln would rest his arm. And it is told... There's a story that is told that Lincoln came home from church one day from New York Avenue Presbyterian Church and someone in his, in his household asked him, well, how was everything today? How was the sermon and so forth? And he said the sermon was, was wonderful, but it fell way short. And the person asked him why, it, how, why he felt that way. And he said, because the preacher never asked me to do anything great with what I had been told. A message, a sermon, a Sunday school lesson, a lesson you teach your children is never great until you begin to apply it, to do something wonderful with it. So just a few short things or areas actually in which you can apply these things that I hope will be helpful to you. You can apply what we've learned in Psalm 93 about the God who is in charge, the God who is utterly reliable. We can apply these things in our homes and our relationships and our families, our friendships. Is there a difficulty that is going on in your home, in your relationship with your kids or with your parents or, or, or in a friendship? Is there something that's going on there that, that God is not in the midst of, that God cannot help you with? See, God's, God not only made us for himself, but he made us for each other. And so he wants us to be in relationship. And that's where the best evangelism takes place, is in relationships one-on-one with other people. And so he wants to help us. One of the ways that he helps us here is that when his word and his authority proclaims, hey, the best way to deal with, with brokenness is through confession and forgiveness. Okay, so God says to do that. He doesn't tell us what all the little steps that need to, need to be taken. It's just, you know, if you've hurt someone, seek their forgiveness. If you've been broken by someone, and, if you, and, and go and forgive those who have hurt you, just go and do it. Go and take care of those things, particularly those who are in the, who are in the body and body of Christ. And if God can forgive, and the, the lesson here is that if the God of, of all the world, of God of all creation, if the God of holiness and perfection can forgive what our sins have been done to his son, then you can surely forgive that slight that's been done to you. That sin has been committed against you. Remember that in your homes, in your relationships with other people. How about in our culture? Well, we really need God in our culture, don't we? And it's, as I explained to you about the guy who says, you know, maybe we should look at norms instead of laws. I mean, that's the thinking of this age. That's the thinking of this culture. You know, if it feels good to me at that, at that time, at a particular time, if it's the norm to be expected, then I should be able to go ahead and do that without any threat from the law. I should be able to be protected because that was the normalized thing to do, the normalized thing to think or to believe. 
Whereas God's word says, even in this very short psalm, that his, his word is reliable. Your statutes, Lord, stand firm. It means they're not going to change. What was a sin in Moses' day and a sin in Jesus' day and a sin and a sin in Martin Luther's day is a sin still today. And the mercy of God then is as it is now. We heard it in our assurance of pardon. If we say or we are without sin, we deceive ourselves, but then God's truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That stands firm. You have to have a place to stand in the culture. And what our culture, what our society, what our nation, what our community needs right now is people to stand on a foundation and say, if you want to have a place to stand firm where you are not going to be rocked, where you are not going to be going to sink, where you're not going to be knocked off your feet, come and stand here because this is where Jesus stands. The one who conquered death and the grave. The one who conquered sin and sorrow. We need that. Because right now, most of the people in our world, certainly most of the people in our country think, I'll do whatever I want whenever I want. I will look for a way around the law. Our automatic response as human beings of not, not, is, not, uh, is no longer to comply, but to find some way around it. To find some way around the line. So we will lie, we will cheat, we will steal. We will do whatever it is and we will forgive ourselves in our own hearts because that's what everybody else is doing. That's not what we're supposed to be doing as Christians and it's not what the world needs. This is not a matter of the good old days versus now. This is the matter of biblical foundations that have not and never will be shaken upon which eternal life is formed and the sinking, shifting sands of personal feelings. That's our culture. How about in our witness, our, our evangelism? Our evangelism, our witness to Jesus Christ is not firm, it's not solid, it's not reliable if we're going to be shifty too. We need to stand someplace firm. We need to be willing to call a sin a sin, and we need to be able to also tell people, and if you're looking for someone who's probably... The chief of sinners, here's me. This is what the Apostle Paul said. He said, I'm the chief of them. Yeah, God's got me on this great mission, but I'm the chief of sinners. I wanted to kill Christianity. I wanted to kill the name of Jesus. But God turned me around. Your neighbors and your co-workers and the people that are with you in school or on your teams need to see and to hear about the Jesus who is utterly reliable, who is not going to abandon them, but is also not going to let them be the person they are now. He wants them to be the person he knows they can be. You understand what I'm saying? You can't be shifting around in your opinions about what is and is not good. You must always stand for the good. Because otherwise, you'll be no good to anyone. They need to know where they can come to. 
They need to come to see Jesus. And the people, the way that they, people ordinarily first see Jesus is in another person. And that person is you. And finally, in our church, whatever church you're a part of, you're part of Northminster. I'm glad. I'm happy. You're a great church. You're a great congregation. I love coming here. People just overwhelm me. I had so many people come up before the service was again and say, how are you doing? Is everything okay? We really missed you last week. We're glad that you're back here again. I mean, I've gone into places where I've supplied the pulpit where it was hard to get the organist to talk to me. You guys are just so open and welcoming. And that's what you want. You want to have that gift of putting people at ease. That's the gift of hospitality. And you've got it. And you've got so much more. But still, there are things you wrestle with. You're, you're going to be wrestling with a pastor. And may I just take a moment here to commend your session. As the chief of or the chair of the uh, ministry partnership team in, in our presbytery for, for six years, uh, the first six years of the Presbytery of the Harvest's life. I have seen sessions deal with all kinds of different issues, including the departure of pastors. And your session is on the ball. I mean, I've seen sessions struggle with, well, now what do we do next? What do we do next? Your session already knows what to do next, and they've already done it. They've got you going. If you've been watching your emails, they've got you headed down the path to to find a transitional pastor. I don't know when that person will come. I don't know who that person will be. But in partnership with our synod, with our denominational folks, you're going to find someone who's just as fabulous as me. (laughs) It won't be me because I'm retired, okay? I'm, I'm retired from it all. I'll be glad to help where I help you where I can. But they're they're all they're all going to be great. They're going to you're going to find the right person to lead you through the process of transitioning between one era and another, between one chapter and another. And that's a struggle for a lot of churches and you know Turning to God's word, stick together. God's got this. God's got you together for a reason. He put you together for a reason years ago. That reason has not changed. Stick together, trust each other, pray for each other, love on each other, and you're going to move through because churches that are absent are those things of the churches that I see. I, Bonnie and I came down yesterday and stayed at a hotel over in East Peoria so you didn't have to do that, get up at 4.30 and do that two-hour drive thing. Uh, this time around. And as we drove down through Lakin, there's a Lutheran church on on 17 as you're coming through Lakin, off to the right side, coming down through through downtown. That Lutheran church was open, had a pastor there when I was up at La Prairie. It's now an event center. It's not a church anymore. And that's sad. And I don't want you to be like this. I don't think you will be like this, but I want to make sure you do that. Don't let your struggles divide you. Instead, lean on the one who has said, I've got this. I not only got the whole world in my hands, I've got Northminster in my hands, and I've got something good that I'm molding this church into. God is doing that. Stand on his word. Remember his precepts. Look after his character and live it out. 
And all of these things you will remember. In all these things, remember that the Lord reigns. He's in charge, and he's not going to give it up. Another one of my favorite psalms, but not my favorite psalm, is just a few pages over in Psalm 127, and you're probably very familiar with the words. It happens every time there's a building campaign. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain, and unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. The Lord has built you here, and he's built you here for a purpose, and he's built you here for a long time. Don't ever forget that. The Lord reigns, and he is robed in majesty. He has girded himself with strength. It is the basis of his character. And when, the, when nature itself cries out and thunders and booms in waves and thunderstorms, that's nothing compared to the power and majesty and voice of God. And when all is distilled down, don't ever forget. You can count on him. You can count on this. And because of that, you can count on each other. In the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, let us pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for the reminder that you, you've got it all. You've taken care of it all. You're dealing with it all. Behind the scenes, sometimes, and we don't understand what you're doing, and we sometimes we throw up on our arms and we say, what are you doing, God? And we want to put ourselves in your place and say, hey, you know, I could do this better, Lord, if you just let me have my way. But we know in our hearts that's not true. It's not true. You are in charge. Your plan is better than our plan. Your abilities are greater than our abilities. Your strengths are greater than our strengths. And your vision far outlasts ours. So we lay ourselves in your hand, whatever we are facing today and tomorrow. And we, we want you to remind us, Lord, with the beginning of each new day, that you are there, robed, ready, and loving. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.